Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. Thank you for joining us today. Our subject is God, the preserver of man. And we are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we welcome you all. And we'll begin this morning with our morning prayer. I'm reading from Divinity Course in General Collectania, pages 77 and 139. My health, strength, life, intelligence, action, etc. are subject to the governing and controlling power of the divine mind and to nothing else, for there is no other power. God is your refuge and strong deliverer. He will hide you under his wings till the storms are past and the sunlight of his presence cheers and invigorates you with new strength and exaltation. Yes, he who clothes the lilies will tend you and gird you with strength in truth and love and so establish the labor of your hands in his vineyard. Never distrust, never doubt the all love, for it will never fail. As your day, so shall your strength be. Be patient, and let faith grow stronger and stronger each day of this pilgrimage. Mary Baker Eddy. That is beautiful. You just find the best things, Florence, <laughs> from your good old blue book. You try, you try to say, <laughs> yes, the good old book. God gives them. Mm-hmm. Thanks. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. And Karen, you too, with the beautiful watching points. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Watch number two hundred and sixty-eight. Watch when you have cranked your automobile engine to the point where it has started that you quickly let go of the crank. In the days before the self-starter was invented, if you were not quick enough to get out of the way when the engine started, the crank might even break your wrist. When we have done our part to put divine power into operation in this human dream, we must quickly withdraw leaving God to care for the situation as he will. We have our part to perform to be sure, but when we have finished it, we must trust God to do his and not continue to grind out arguments through fear. When you have sharpened your pencil in the sharpener, your work is done. If you continue longer to grind the sharpener, you merely wear the pencil away. Similarly, when you have reached the point of faith, you should know that you have done what God requires of you, and he will do the rest. Mary Baker Eddy once said, quote, we must talk more closely with God, bring him nearer us, more like the old style of praying. We must feel and know that God is what we live in, like the atmosphere or the sunlight. It is all about us. We must rest more in God." End quote. Thank you. Comments on that? Well, that last statement, we must feel and know that God is what we live in, like the atmosphere or the sunlight. It is all about us. And that I thought about that all week. It's, and that's when we can rest. When we feel that for any situation, that's when we know we've done our part. When we feel that and we can just rest in that and know that God is caring for the situation, whatever it is. Thank you very much. Yeah, that, that is the beauty and that watching point. And that is how you know your treatment is complete. This is how you know your watch is complete when you get feeling that way. Now, if you're in the human mind and you're grinding and grinding and you are doing uh, nine parts 
negativity to one part affirmation, <laughs> then you have not done your watch or your treatment, have you? Because that, that's what happens. I've got this horrible problem. I'm working. God is all. God is all. I'm going to sprinkle God is all all over this huge problem. So, <laughs> but you're not, you're not really feeling it and knowing you are in the sunshine of his love. And that's, that's the, where we need to be to get and to stay. That is dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of your life, beholding his beauty and inquiring in his temple. That's why I love that so much. Anybody else? Yeah, this is Dale A. Um, I've been working on a physical problem now for years. I'd have to think a minute, about six. And when I was focusing on the problem, I wasn't getting a healing. I guess it's because I've been persistent and I'm, I keep on doing the work and doing the work. And what's happened lately is I've, I said, I don't even care. Go, go ahead. Be there. I'm going to go ahead and enjoy my life. And there's, it's a transformation. I'm a different person. Thank you very much. That's what that article, Slow Healing by Kate Buck, is about. She says, I don't I care. That many times, but I just didn't get it. <laughs> you know, I wanted to get it, but I didn't get it. And and it's you've said over and over again, you just have to persist. So am I ever uncomfortable? Yes. I'm just not going to let it stop me. And then it'll eventually just dissolve, and I probably won't even notice it. That's exactly yeah. right. Somebody once said, gee, I didn't know that there was such a thing as a physical problem. Because it's not you. <laughs> it's the illusion still. It's, the illusion. it's a mortal mind talking to you and you're having a conversation with it. And the more you talk, the more it seems to be. That's why absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's why having this work to do is so important. Get your thought off yourself. And it will. It'll it'll diminish, let unselfishness, goodness, mercy, justice, love, the kingdom of heaven reign within us. And sin, disease, and death will diminish until they finally disappear. Signs and health. Yeah. So that rest period might be long, uh, yeah? It, but what do we do in that time? More faith in God, never doubting, never distrusting. That's it will right. not fail. It doesn't fail. It does not fail, no. And Mr. Zetti tells us it lasts only as long as the tenacity of error. Mm -hmm. Right? And what's the tenacity of error? Well, it's our hanging on to it, not it hanging on to us. <laughs> I think this is why Mrs. Zetti has a whole chapter on prayer. Right? Yeah. Because, you know, Prayer does not change anything that God has made, you know, but it does tend to put us into contact with the Almighty. That's why the Christian science prayer is so different than most prayers where people are pleading with God, dear God, save me, help me. Um, Christian science is the prayer of affirmation and knowing it's already done. We just have to have the eyes to see it. And honestly, when you know you're going to go on for eternity, six years is a flash in the pan. I mean, I think of how long I struggled. It was much longer than six years. Mm -hmm. um, and you look back on it, and it's like, well, so what? <laughs> it was, it's over now, and it seems just like a dream that's passed. Paul had his thorn in the flesh that he prayed about, but it didn't stop him from walking everywhere and doing all yes. that work. Yes, yes. Okay. Sometimes you can use this if it's pain or whatever. You can just use it as a reminder that you're not in flesh, you're in spirit. Let it be a reminder to turn your thought to pages 390 to 393. Um, just use it that way. And if you use it that way, it will diminish until it finally disappears. I just read thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that. It, and when you realize your life is to 
is not your own, some your problems disappear because your life is God's. And I was in the hospital, and and all of a sudden the thought came to me years ago: work for me. And from that day, and I said yes. And then from that day on, you know, I started getting better and better until I was totally healed. And it was when I started changing my perspectives, my direction, and uh, often that's what's necessary. Teachers, and, that's and, beautiful. And, Thank and you. And the me that told you to work for me was God. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God said, "Work for me." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that this is it. This is what we talked about yesterday. Finding your purpose changes everything. I've helped many people in the hospital by just telling them that you're, you're, you know, you've got God's work to do. You have your time isn't over yet. Get out of that bed and and accomplish your divine purpose. It works wonders. It truly does. And of course, the 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 point to get to which is what this watching point is all about. It, the point to get to it is to recognize that there's no separation between you and God, between me and God, that I am God manifest. And how could I be anything other than what God is in reality? So get over all this false belief and, and then stop cranking. <laughs> Okay, hang on, Gazeri, we have to put you on speaker. Yeah, I remember now. (laughs) Okay, go ahead, ahead, Zeri. Yeah, this is so beautiful to hear this because I teach a class on Monday and uh, I was asked to talk about uh, near-death experiences and I said to everybody that all of them have always been dealt with by overcoming the belief that there is a body that I'm fighting. Um, One of the situations last year was a COVID issue which was of course overcoming the belief in fear and the belief that uh, good could be attacked. Uh, One was a situation of having uh, been in a fire where 80% of my body was burned and my grandmother came to the U.S. and talked me out of the belief in death and said, you're just God's perfect child. I'm not going to take any of this. And she spoke in every language she could speak until I responded because she knew who I am. So we are always waking up to the knowledge that life comes from God and that's what it is. And I think death means not knowing or not understanding that God is all. Thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you, Zeri. Two beautiful examples with Craig and Zeri. Um, Louise wrote about the watching point, quoting the Blue Book, when treating a, a patient, do as well as you can and let God do the healing. If your children need treatment, don't sit up all night, but treat yourself. Usually you have to treat yourself for what? Fear. 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 Uh-huh. And then go to bed and go to sleep. Give up more to God. And then also, true rest is refuge from the elements of earth. That's beautiful. So, so yes. And then what Zeri said, you know, the 27th Psalm, which I love so much, but the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You, every morning before you get out of bed, you know God is your life. And also, God is your mind. But when you know God is your life, it's not in this physical body. God is your life. God has a purpose for you. All those things come flooding over you. Your day will be a wonderful day. But you you have to know this because the physical body is always saying, oh, no, I claim you. You're mine. Your life is in me. Your life depends on your heart or your whatever. No, 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 no. Nope. Nope. Not happening. You have a heart, yes, and it beats for God, and it's a divine idea, and he made you. It's the infinite heart of love, and you can go through all the organs and know the truth about them. So they they exist because God exists, and they are perfect in him, 
but that is knowing that God is your life and the strength of your life. And we had a wonderful Bible study. Thank you, Thomas, yesterday, all on this idea of strength, which complements what we'll be talking about today. Okay. Um, Carrie sent me just some beautiful things. A um, couple I'll go into now before we go further. Um, just about God being the preserver of man. This one is part of a lecture from Paul Stark Seeley, The Safety Zone. If arrows are shot at a sunbeam, they never harm the sunbeam. If a blacksmith were to try to injure a sunbeam with a sledgehammer, he would find it impossible to do so. Thus it is with a right-minded, God-expressing man. The shafts of malice, envy, criticism, and hate do him no harm, for it is impossible for them to find lodgment. Arrows do not stick in sunbeams. Evil thoughts cannot lodge in a consciousness filled with good. The righteous man lives in a realm into which error shafts cannot enter. Evil shoots at its own. It cannot see God's own. This is why, and I really haven't been able to find who said it. I thought it was Martha Wilcox, but no one can malpractice on you unless you are a malpractitioner. If you are indulging in hate, resentment, if you've gone down to the level of the carnal mind, it will find you. But if you are living in the house of the Lord <laughs> all the days of your life, it won't find you. It can't. It's impossible. And then Paul Stark Seeley goes on. As we stand in the safety zone on a busy street of a large city, we are safe. Though thousands of vehicles go rushing by, Law has declared that traffic shall not trespass on the zone of safety. God has provided a place of safety for all his children. David called it the secret place of the Most High. This safe refuge is very near, even at the turn in our thinking. When we entertain the thoughts of the evil mind, we are in constant danger. When we entertain the thoughts of God... We are always safe. And isn't that true, that, that beautiful um, in miscellany, what our leader says, where she says, you know, how, how can error enter, enter your being when your thoughts, this is a paraphrase, but when your thoughts are full of the thoughts of God, right? They're total protection. If anybody can find that, they can read it to me. <laughs> but it's, it's beautiful what she says. And, um, and she says, and all those who your thoughts rest on are also blessed. So this is why, and, and always, but especially now with all this stuff that's going on, to know you're dwelling in the house of the Lord. So there's complete safety. It's your safety zone. I have it if you want me to read it. Okay, thank you, Karen. <clears throat> Beloved Christian scientists, Keep your mind so filled with truth and love that sin, disease, and death cannot enter them. It is plain that nothing can be added to the mind already full. There is no door through which evil can enter and no space for evil to fill in a mind filled with goodness. Good thoughts are an impervious armor. Clad therewith, you are completely shielded from the attacks of error of every sort. And not only yourselves are safe, but all whom your thoughts rest upon are thereby benefited. Do you want me to read the next paragraph? No, that's, that's enough. That's perfect. That Thank, you. You, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. That is something, you know, it's been made into plaques. Um, I have one. Linda found one in our church and beautifully framed it for me. I have it in my bedroom to remind remind yourself always. And uh, so much better. Florence and I were talking about this to have preventative Christian science and curative. Stay in the house of the Lord. Don't come out. That doesn't mean that you you will bless others much more by staying in that house. Um, 
you can go out and do great works, but always come back and always have it. it it's something you take with you because the kingdom of God is within you, right? So you, you're never without it. Right. You can be in the world, just don't be of the world. Yes. On this time, this Christmas time that's here now, especially when all those temptations to run around and do things, only as God directs. And then yesterday we had this wonderful discussion on Clara Barton. And this is a quote that Carrie found from Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale said, If I could give you information of my life, it would be to show how a woman of a very ordinary ability has been led by God in strange and unaccustomed paths to do in his service what he has done in her. And if I could tell you all, you would see how God has done all and I nothing. I have worked hard, very hard, that is all, and I have never refused God anything. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. Mm -hmm. All these things that I'm reading today, I want in the Liberator, okay? <laughs> I have to tell that to Carol, because um, that in <laughs> itself is a beautiful quote to just to take in and think about. So... She was from a very wealthy family, and they wanted her to marry and have children like all everybody was doing at that time. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Hmm. But God has something better in mind for her. Uh -huh. And thank God she listened. Yes, she found her divine destiny, and this is what we are to do. Most of you, I would hope, have, and if you haven't, you can. Your divine destiny, what God would have you do. Your human destiny is you just plod along in the Adam dream, and it's a horrible time. <laughs> so, um, and the lesson talks about, and this is how Florence Nightingale and Clara Barton were able to achieve these tremendous things. Because it was God, God in them, Emmanuel, God with us. And the lesson talks about the, the law of love. God never punishes man for doing right, for honest labor, or for deeds of kindness, though they expose him to fatigue, cold, heat, contagion. You take this. This is your armor. All this stuff about contagion right now. No, no, no. You're doing God's work. It can't find you or touch you. It cannot find you. You are like that sunbeam. can't get to you. And again, when the condition is present, which you say induces disease, whether it be air, exercise, heredity, contagion, or accident, then perform your office as porter and shut out these unhealthy thoughts and fears. Exclude from mortal mind the offending errors. Then the body cannot suffer from them important we prove this we are living testimony to this truth and people the storm can rage without us okay let it rage but not with us <laughs> we're in god's home and our job is what to know the truth stay with god our god, job no god's almost thank you our job is to stay there <laughs> <laughs> is to stay there. I mean, it says here in Citation 12, we apprehend life in divine science only as we live above corporeal sense and correct it. That's our job. When the wrong thoughts come to us, live above them and correct them. Dispose of them. And that is... What our leader says, isn't it? And and we are to be obedient to what our leader says. And I, I loved what Craig said. He was speaking about the spiritual demand quelling, quelling the material. And he said, each is capable of meeting the spiritual demand with Christian science because God and man coexist and are co-eternal and are one in quality. And then I love this. Only a momentary 
tear may appear before the loins again are filled with strength and the thoughts with love for God. Well, thank you. You're welcome. That's actual experience. <laughs> yes, it is. And that's, that's what makes these times together meaningful because we are speaking from our experience. And that makes it lovely and wonderful. And, and, and you, who can deny your experience? Just like Karen was saying, if you know two plus two is four, she was saying that yesterday. You, no one can convince you otherwise. Now, the article, or the article, the story in Exodus with, uh, well, especially the murmuring, the, the children murmuring, right? Children of Israel, oh my gosh, they murmured and they murmured. Well, they got thirsty, so they murmured. They murmured. <laughs> so this was a beautiful article that Carrie sent by an essay price, which is something we all think about, but this is even deeper and it's a quote he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward okay he that receiveth a prophet in the name or character of a prophet does so because he perceives that the prophecy is true and could have been uttered by no one less than a prophet this perception is of itself spiritual or prophetic vision and entitles the possessor to a prophet's reward the understanding in some degree of the truth revealed it is thus seen that if we do not understand at least in part our leaders relation to the cause of christian science it is because we have not comprehended that christian science is a divine revelation and thus we miss the reward of such knowledge. Now, we talk all the time about her being the woman in the apocalypse. And this so beautifully states, if you don't acknowledge this and see her as coming from God, divine revelation, you will miss the reward that comes with that seeing. Just as the children of Israel, when they were muttering around and roaming around and murmuring and murmuring, were miss they weren't seeing Moses, were they? Sometimes you don't see the practitioner. You see her some nice lady just saying some nice things, and you're not going to listen to her. Or maybe you will, or maybe you won't. Well, you miss the reward if you see her correctly. You miss the reward of seeing anybody correctly, seeing the Christ in everyone. So. When it's genuinely there. Yes, when it's not a false prophet. Yes. To say that Christian science is a divine revelation and yet not to love the revelator and believe that her mission is divinely appointed is to doubt God's wisdom in selecting the one through whom to give this great revelation to the world. To criticize her motives and acts is to expose her own egotism in attempting to judge one whom in accepting Christian science we have acknowledged to be best fitted among all people for the place she fills. It was when their own faith was tried and found warning that the Israelites murmured against Moses. After the mighty triumph at the Red Sea, the children of Israel sang with Moses, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, etc. But then when they murmured against him, murmured, Moses said, The Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye mur murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. So, again, the idea of seeing a prophet and getting that reward of seeing it. But yes, as Gary said, not a false prophet. No, nope, we don't want a false prophet, but a true one. And Mrs. Eddy certainly is. Right. <laughs> and and this, this goes along with eliminating personal sense, doesn't it? They, they saw it. They had a personal sense of Moses. A lot of people had a personal sense of Mrs. Eddy. A lot of people, a lot of people had a personal sense of Jesus. And anybody who had a personal sense of them missed the whole point. And and go ahead. I just want to say it's it's interesting too about how the, the Israelites looked at them their own selves and said, "Well, I I can't do this." You know, and, and I, 
and I don't even want to do this kind of a thing. But the people around Miss Avetti were like, oh, I could have done this, you know, and, and I could do this better. So I just, I find that interesting how this is, you know, both, both ways is wrong. You're supposed to listen to inspiration. Yes. Thank you. That's like fear and pride, isn't it? Both two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So, and I know we, we all, if we see the prophet, certainly with Mrs. Eddie, we will receive that reward. And we are to acknowledge her for who and what she is. And, and it's always a problem. And if it happens to you when you're trying to, or you're expressing the Christ to someone and they're just seeing you as some mortal, then it's better just to kind of move on, isn't it? Sometimes it is. Shake the dust from your feet. Yep, that's what, that's what, um. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Yeah. And that's not a personal comment on people, it's just a state of thought. Yes. Right. A lot of dogs would just like to take your good stuff, enjoy it, and then do nothing. They are. Thank you. Absolutely. And we know, you know, the promise with Moses, he lived to be 120 years old. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural force abated. Again, the strength that comes when you're serving the Father. And um, in, in Matthew, Christ Jesus, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls. It's one of the beautiful things I like about the, the chosen, um, his, the, the portrayal of the Christ. He, he's so natural at it, and it, it doesn't look like he's strained and worried, fussing and fuming. <laughs> I sometimes do. <laughs> it's just a, a reminder I mean, there were there was that scene when you, he was out healing all day and came back wearied. But um, but generally, he, he, you can just feel his connection with God, like he's always talking to the Father. He knows it's the Father doing it, and no, nothing else. Even then, he still laid down and said his prayers. Even then, he's and he said these beautiful prayers. And Linda <laughs> has found those prayers. If anybody wants them, the beautiful prayer that he says before he goes to bed at night. It's beautiful, and and I think it came from the Jewish something, uh, Jewish absolutely. history. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, but it was always about God. Their prayer before they ate, they prayed. Before they went to bed, when they got up in the morning, they thanked God. This is prayer, unceasing prayer, and this is how we should all live. That's living in the house of the Lord all the days of your life. Now, going on to Dorcas again. Carrie found. All these really beautiful articles, one by William McCracken, whom I love. And um, he says, it's from a 1917 issue of the journal, the book of Acts may, might well be called the book of demonstration. So full it, is it of the proofs of God's power over sin, sickness, and death, and other suppositious, suppositious forces of evil, from the record of that memorable occasion when Peter and John healed the lame man who was laid daily at the gate of the temple called Beautiful, to the story of Paul's shipwreck on the Isle of Malta, when the apostles took the Gentiles, shook off the viper which had fastened itself upon his hand, and felt no harm. The book of Acts worthily fulfills the promise of its name. It is as if it were a special chapter added to the Gospels to illustrate the correctness of Christ Jesus' teaching and the ever-present avail availability of his promises. Much in the same way as the chapter entitled Fruitage puts a fitting climax upon the Christian Science textbook, Science and Health with Key to the Scripture by Mrs. Eddy. The Acts is the necessary afterglow of the Sermon on the Mount. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And attends to it in the relationship of effect to cause. 
To the scientists, this book is therefore a constant exhortation to be beware of mere theorizing and to keep on proving the practicability of God's law. The necessary afterglow of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the result of what the, the disciples, and again, in the chosen, it shows the disciples were clueless at first. They weren't doing all this great stuff. They were following Jesus, wondering what the heck was going on. It took a while for them. Here they were seeing these incredible healings. And even they admitted it wasn't until they saw the resurrection until they began to get it. So, but they got it, thank goodness. And then it also says, um, facts is further of immediate interest to Christian scientists because it illustrates the first beginnings of church organizations and the difficulties besetting such beginnings. And then he goes, in the process of this expansion of early Christianity, it reached the very heart of the old world, Rome itself, and there meekly and devoutly established its preaching and practice. Works were never wanting among the early Christians. Demonstration and fruitage followed inevitably upon the doctrine. Only after the lapse of centuries, when popularity succeeded persecution, when a latter form of Christianity sought a convenient peace and stooped to please the carnal mind, did the acts cease and the routine of ritualism displace the signs following. Very sobering words. And this is, this is not what happened even within the Christian science movement. And as I've said, I feel now that we are in the, the reign of Jezebel. Uh, that quote that Florence found years ago about when Christian science healing seems almost impossible. She doesn't say impossible, but when this brain of materia medica and secularism and contagion and drugs, drugs, drugs is so prevalent, then what, what are we to do, Florence? Science and health is it. Only science and health. He said not the lectures would do it, not the churches would do it, not anything will do it. Science and health is the answer. And yes. we have to give it to the world. That's what yes. he said. Read it's it. in the green book. Um, the green book. Now. Yep. So read it. You doing it. You loving it. You reading it. Read it. Listen to it. We were saying every afternoon I get into it, reading it, listening to it, looking up words. For I don't know how many times, as you heard, Jim Dival has read it 74 times. <laughs> so keep, keep at this is 11 of truth. And I really feel to, to a large degree it's why we have the chosen. It's gone to millions and millions of households. And it's extraordinarily um, spiritual. I mean, we are very sensitive to just like Christian stuff, right? What did you say? Oh yeah, I was so grateful. You know, there's there's the slightest talk of, you know, Jesus being God, but it's very slight. And I was so grateful, especially in the last episode of the second season, it showed it showed Jesus demonstrating the Beatitudes and what it took to put it together, and how wonderful. And kind of, you know, almost courageous for a Christian to say that, you know, as though he didn't show up knowing everything. But I, for us, it was perfect. So, you know, he had to demonstrate it, and that's wonderful. Yeah. So, so this word is spreading. The leaven of truth is at work, and more and more people are being, if nothing else, forced to this. Because how many, how many vaccines, folks, are you going to be willing to take? Okay, the first one, then the booster, then something else, then the flu shot, then your antibiotics. And this is not the answer. And, of course, the world is going to have to, any thinking person is going to have to come to this conclusion. And I love it because it says in the lesson about um, mandate, right? Mind alone enlarges and empowers man through its mandate. 
mandate, official order, or command. Now, a mandate is something that someone, a governor or, or somebody can tell you, but it's not anything anybody voted on. In other words, it's not a law. Somebody is just telling you, you have to do this. Just remember that, okay? <laughs> right, Gary? Absolutely. <laughs> right, he's my historical authoritative voice. <laughs> we obey the law of the land and God's mandates. God's mandates, and mind alone is the mandate. Mind, God. All right, so then also in the story of Dorcas, there's an article called Witnesses. It brings up something I've thought about a lot. Um, and she says it very beautifully. It's at Annie Knott. And unfortunately, Annie Knott was on the board of directors that that excommunicated Eustace and that kind of thing. But there was a while where she did a lot of good, wrote a lot of good articles and was in the right mind. But she writes, Peter had been with his master when he went to awaken Jarius's daughter out of the sleep of death. When those who accepted the material evidence laughed him to scorn because he denied this evidence, the all power of truth was, however, proven by Jesus Christ. And later there came a day when Peter himself was called to bear witness to the truth in the same way his master had done. Word was sent him that Dorcas, a noble Christian woman, had died and her friends desired him to come without delay. Faith and fear were strangely intermingled as it seemed, when Peter appeared on the scene. But he put out the weeping friends and kneeling down prayed to the God who had raised Jesus from the tomb. Then when he bade Dorcas arise in witness of the truth of his prayer, she did so. Need we wonder that when this was known through Joppa, many believed in the Lord. And then she goes on to just talk about Isaiah's prophecy, we read, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. Um, Jesus said uh, that that's what he did. He was a faithful witness. Um, John the Baptist came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. Those who know Christian science can never plead ignorance as to the nature of the testimony which they should give in all their human relationships. We are all witnesses to this truth. We sometimes think about it. I mean, God can't speak for himself, can he? <laughs> I mean, he does in a way, but we have to be his witness. We have to speak for him. Be his expression. Be his expression and, and tell people of this, not preach at them in a lordly manner, but let them know from our hearts. Heart speaks to heart, Mrs. Eddy says. This is why we have our testimony meetings. We witness to the truth. You are witness to the truth. Declare it amongst the land. Let people know that our God is real, a living God who heals. This is what we have to do. I, I just love that thought. I've thought about it a lot. And and, it, and then, then she speaks of it so beautifully because everyone came to bear witness, right? Yes. They were bearing witness. Isn't that great? <laughs> so you go out today, and for all the days of your life, you bear witness to this truth. Proclaim it amongst the land. But again, not in some preachy way, but... Yeah, that's what the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. You're the salt of the earth. Yes. You're the light of the world. Yes. Someone tied it under a bushel. Yes. It's beautiful. Oh, my. There's so much more. There was a lot beautifully beautiful things written about the palm tree in Psalms. And remember that the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. And the Benson Commentary says... The palm tree, which is constantly green and flourishing, spreads its branches very wide and grows to a vast side of size, affording a most refreshing shade to travelers. And it, it goes on about the palm tree and the cedars. And think of yourself this way. If you're working for God, 
you can't grow dim and old and decrepit. You continue to, to grow and and declare his works and flourish, flourish. Um, can't get to all of it. Karen wrote some beautiful things about the palm tree. And there's a beautiful, we'll probably end on this, a lesson from the palm tree, another article by the Carrie sent. And also, um, along with this, Parthen sent that beautiful healing of someone who was a child that was run over by a, a truck or something, right? And, and was totally healed. And all of these things are on the forum for you to, to read. And, and then, of course, Florence puts them in the forum highlights. So when I don't get to everybody's forum comments, you can all see for yourselves. And they're wonderful. And they add a lot. So now I would like to get into something that I love and I've talked about before, but it is the first citation in Science and Health. The history of Christianity furnishes sublime that word, exalted, high in excellence, elevated by joy. Sublime proofs of the supporting influence and protecting power bestowed on man by his heavenly father, and you were dwelling in his house, remember that, omnipotent mind, and then he gives you, he gives it to you, so you'd have no excuse here. He gives you faith. He gives you faith, and he gives you understanding, whereby to defend yourself, not only from temptation, which is the big bugaboo, oh, I'm going to get sick, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, all of this stuff, temptation, it always comes as suggestion, temptation, but he gives you faith and understanding to defend yourself from temptation and bodily suffering. Bodily suffering, all this bodily suffering we seem to encounter. God is giving you all this, and we have sublime proofs of it, witnesses to it. And that word defend, we talked about it last week in the alertness to duty, where defending yourself daily against aggressive mental suggestion. Defend, to drive from, to thrust back, to forbid, to prohibit, to oppose, to resist, to secure against attacks to deny accusations, to drive back a foe. And then, I mean, I've always loved, of course, we know the protecting power God gives us. Huge protecting power. But the one that got to me once a while ago was this, when I was living by myself, was the idea of a supporting influence. Who does not need a supporting influence? God is, he is your supporting influence. And that word influence, it means flowing into like inspiration. Influence denotes a power whose operation is invisible and known only by its effects. The power of truth operating on the mind. So when you think you're all by yourself and no one's there to help you, remember this. Then there's sublime proofs, which gives us exalted joy of this. He is a support. He's supporting you in whatever you're doing and influencing you, not erroneously, of course, but influencing you in all the right ways, what to do, what to say, where to be, all of the things that God does. I just love this passage. It's so full of the truth that we can apply to ourselves. So whatever your problem is, whether you're being tempted or you're having bodily suffering, God is there. And remember, I love Jesus always, almost always talked about God as his father. And that's that intimate connection you have with God. He's not some far off thing. He is your father. He's with you in this. And then the next two, God pours the riches of his love into the understanding and affections. Pours the riches of his love. You think you don't understand? You think you don't have enough love in your heart? He's pouring this into you, giving you strength 
according to your day. What more do we need? We need no more. We only need to appreciate and value what we have and be aware of it. All right, now we will end with this lovely story about a lesson from the palm. <laughs> this is a lesson from the palm by Daisy Cynthia Wood. This is an excerpt from the article. Mrs. Eddy has written that the floral apostles are hieroglyphs of deity, Science and Health, page 240. And the significance of this statement was re recently brought to the writer by a friend's story about a plant. A palm, long loved and cherished, began to turn brown, wither, and lose all semblance of life. Careful nursing seemed of no avail. And finally, the leaves having become dry and sear, the owner regretfully decided to dispense with it the next day, when, behold, a light from the chandelier chanced to fall upon the top of the withered palm and disclosed a pure white bud ready to burst forth into a beautiful flower. Cutting the plant to the earth and stripping the stalk of its withered husks, she placed it in a jar of water, whereupon the flower unfolded in radiant beauty and tender fragrance to the delight of all who saw it. Moreover, out from the earth where the plant had been cut away sprang two tiny green shoots, revealing an inherent life which gave promise of future growth and fruitage. Through mute symbolism, this floral apostle had brought its lesson of the ever-presence of life. Within each human consciousness, there lies a seed of truth, which, when touched by the light of divine love and nourished by the ministry of human kindness, will bud and blossom into a manifestation in us of the redemptive Christ idea. And this because love given to the least spiritual idea might, immortality and goodness, which shine through all as the blossom shines through the bud. End quote. Science and Health, page 518. This budding and blossoming into spiritual beauty and efficiency is realized in human experience in proportion to our right thought, our realization of the at-one-ment with good of every spiritual idea. This gradually outgrows all the husks of past wrong thinking, malice, hatred, selfishness, fear, the false beliefs which claim that man is separate from God good, and behold, the full-blown flowers of spiritual consciousness veritable apostles of deity there's never a lost cause there's always that seed within everyone and we just have to nurture it thank you all for joining us today thank you thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.